0: Regulators, mount up, Chad. What's going on? Now watch. Did, did we not do regulators before? We've not done regulators. No, that's oh. a
1: new one. Okay. That was our. Uh, that was our song when I played intramural basketball in college. <laughs> my uh, one of my roommates would play that to get us fired up. That yep. was our team name. It's regulators.
0: Yeah. No, we, we've done party people. We don't, whoop, there we did, it is, but we haven't done regulators. You did uh, a little salt and pepper. Salt and like, pepper, yeah. You had lip bad? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so we got a new one every week. I, I've got a whole list. I have, I have a whole playlist on Spotify of 90 songs I can keep pulling in here.
1: I, they're fresh in my mind. We were uh, at a dance recital for some good friends of ours, their, their daughters, last night, and they did. You could tell what how old the dance instructors are because all the music was like '90s. Nice. Like they had a whole run of just like the Bad Boy Greatest Hits. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I'm like, yeah. I was waiting until the end when that when the instructors I've never, you know, met them, the dance teachers. So I was waiting for them to come on on stage when the show was over, so I could kind of gauge like, yep, yeah, they're about my age. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I went. I went to a. This is going to tell you a lot about me. I went to a conservative Christian college, and I was in the choir. So. Uh, as you can imagine, the type of people that I was uh, associated with uh, during that time of my life. Uh, well, I guess during the current time of my life, too, because I'm still a Christian and not as conservative, but uh, and still definitely not in a choir. Nope. <laughs> uh, as you can tell by my uh, my singing voice at the beginning of these episodes, but we went on a, a tour of the Midwest, uh, one of my years in college, and we went to Omaha and Sioux Falls, and it was just a blast sitting on a bus driving around wow. to the most fabulous cities in the Western Midwest, but... um. They we get they get pretty wild at Christian colleges, huh? Oh yeah, just crazy. <laughs> the ru- the rumors are true. <laughs> we stayed at a hotel one night on that tour. The rest were like home visits. So we like there were a bunch of families that volunteered to let us sleep at their houses, which was just weird sometimes. But uh, the one night we stayed at a hotel, I roomed with uh, a guy I was friends with, and the two of us sat in our room watching a bad boys marathon, like music video marathon on on MTV, and people kept hopping in and like, like seeing what we were doing and like what's happening in here so then the night rolled around and it was our turn like we said we were going to rent a movie and asked if anybody wanted to watch with us and since we were willing to pay our like we had like 30 people in our hotel room wanted to watch the movie so we rented kill bill and by the end of the movie there were three other there were three people left in the room watching with us because everybody else was so turned off by the uh, graphic nature of the movie so <laughs> kind, I, of the, was, kind of the black sheep of the the christian choir i
1: was gonna say i, I was probably running in the other circles i i was uh part of our church group we went on a ski trip every winter and we went i brought, I brought my friend who's not not religious in the least bit and uh we stayed in this was it i was up in Lutzen and okay. it was a nice uh, obviously nice ski resort but the, the place we stayed was like this kind of a rundown hotel it was actually in mod, in the process of being remodeled so literally you could walk down the hall and it was like you could see the line where the paint right. would come down where yeah. the new side was and the old side was, <laughs> and ours was so bad. So we didn't even have a bathroom in our room, but you could tell that people were using the the single sink hmm. as their toilet because the whole room smelled like urine. <laughs> and then the floors were uneven, but not in that yet you know like one direction. It was like uneven, so that we had two twin size beds, but our beds kept rolling into each other. Like so, we were like trying to stack stuff between our beds to. So we weren't like sharing yeah. a bed <laughs> and we were being so loud because we were laughing so hard and making so many jokes. And I don't know how we had so many ni- noise calls from like the front desk, like our own group was turning us in. Like the yeah, people but... were, like across the hall from us, like our friends who we were skiing with the next day. So anyway, that was, I was the opposite. crowd. I was the crowd that was, I was like, I would have been hanging out with you guys watching right, Bill, yeah. but um, probably got in you know, more trouble because, uh, the Malton, my friend Jason. <laughs> there you go. Yep.
0: I don't know if the uh, the language would have tipped us off. but <laughs> I can imagine there was some language shared in the uh, Timberwolves offices in the summer of 1990 between Bill Musselman and Billy McKinney. Sounds if like they're... things went uh, from bad to worse that year.
1: Yeah, if they were even talking at all. I, I kind of get the sense from my um, research that Musselman just kind of did what he wanted without really even communicating with the rest of the the group yeah <laughs> like, he kind of you know went scouted the players he wanted i did, kind of just this is a maverick on his own just kind of <laughs> doing his own thing and it's like
0: you know well whatever you guys will figure out and catch up or or not but i don't really care I mean, <laughs> well and it seemed like bob stein who was both of their bosses didn't really do anything about it
1: i don't think he was really a leader like it seemed like you had Two alphas in the room, but it was McKinney and Moss, not the guy that was actually in charge. Right. Which was Stein, you know. Just. And I don't. Maybe it was more because Stein was not a basketball guy. And so he wasn't. Like, if you're not a basketball guy, how do you know which guy is doing the right thing? Which. Like, who, how do you pick a side?
0: Yeah, you know? I mean. Hadn't been around basketball that long, but at the same time, he had been an agent for NBA players before he he started leading the team. So he should have known enough. But at the same time, yeah. But in yeah.
1: terms of personnel, like the, you know, like it would a uh, uh, Jerry Maguire type know anything about the sport or just the finances? You know what I mean? I was gonna say Drew Rosenhaus, but he, I don't <laughs> think he had any NBA. No, guys, it was all NFL. But or Jerry Maguire. <laughs> That's the movie you would have rented at the hotel. That was a good movie.
0: I, to be <laughs> honest, I like Jerry Maguire better than Kill Bill. I'm not a Kill Bill guy. I'm not a Tarantino. There's, I don't I think like, I've seen Kill Bill since that moment. So I, I can't really speak to it, but I like like
1: Django and Chain, but I never liked the uh yeah. Like
0: what's the other big
1: one of Travolta and Samuel Jackson that uh, everybody thinks is so fiction. great. Yeah. It's like I my vibe on pulp fiction is people say they like pulp fiction because they think it makes them appear smarter.
0: Well, that and Reservoir Dogs, both of them were along the same lines yeah. of like I watched both of them I think when I was like 21, 22 and I was like I don't I I get Clockwork it. Clockwork but...
1: Orange is another one. Not guaranteed. Oh, guarantee.
0: God, Clockwork Orange.
1: Everybody in college would tell, tell you how great Clockwork Orange is. And I was like, no, it's not good. You just think it's good because you're in some film study class and you want to appear smart. That movie sucks.
0: Yeah, no, <laughs> um, I had somebody in high school tell me, dude, never watch Clockwork Orange. It'll mess with you. And I was like, now I want to watch it more. So I went and watched it. And I was like, no, I never should have watched that movie. No, it's messing with me. And I never want to see it again.
1: It didn't even mess with me. It just looked like a crappy movie. And then the more I learned about like Kubrick being, you know, yeah. pedophile and all other garbage, I was just like, this, this is just a bunch of crap. The guy is weird, and so you attribute weird
0: with artsy, and that doesn't necessarily go together. <laughs> anyway. You're going to make me movie. find another seamless transition from Stanley Kubrick back to the Timberwolves, and that's going to be too hard. So luck so let's, let's bring it back to bring it back in here chad we're gonna we're talking about the timberwolves it's the 1990 offseason they just finished their inaugural year 22 and 60 fifth worst record in the nba uh which was to be expected probably even won a few more games than you wouldn't expected based off of the talent level on the roster based off of um how hard they played and the effort they put in due to bill musselman's lack of a bench and his in, in unwillingness to Put his best players uh down for any length of time but um all that said they came in with the uh, the fifth best lottery odds in the upcoming nba draft they're getting a new arena they're getting you know looking to round out the roster and improve even more so chad uh, let's start with the arena they're moving out of the metrodome and uh they're finally going to be moving into a more intimate setting of the the upcoming timberwolves arena no naming rights yet but uh it's i think they're all pretty excited about it and everybody's more than more than happy to get out of the Metrodome and start playing basketball in an actual basketball arena.
1: Yeah, it was. It's cool just to have a, like a basketball arena, so you can kind of, you know, experience basketball the way it's meant to be seen in a live audience. Whereas you know, the games at the Target Center mm-hmm. felt so disconnected from the action. I mean for most people, I mean, there are there were some seats that were close, but because that building was so large, most of the people were sitting, you know. A long ways from where from the courts yeah so you know to get a i don't know had you ever been to a basketball game prior to a wolves game growing up like no, had you been no no like i a don't gopher? believe i had no so i had been to some gopher games and i remember like how awesome that was being that that close but not but the, the flip side i never went to a wolves game at target center that first year so i didn't go to a wolves game at the metronome you mean or yeah sorry at the metronome so i didn't go until the in the Target Center.
0: yeah no, I did go to the Metrodome, and I remember that just being insane just how far how big it was, and even when yeah. you were close, you were still super far away from the actual court itself because they had to just put down chairs and get everything built into the the middle of the the field so um yeah, I mean, the target center I'd still prefer the target center even in its current state um to having to go back oh, to sure. a game at Stay the Metrodome thirty egg. years ago so yeah, um, but anyway well, cause
1: yeah. I remember my we went to twins games all the time and walk in through the metrodome and like. Even when I was a teenager, I would be just amazed at how big it was. Mm-hmm. Like, for the first time when you get to that, that first walking into the, where you're, the seating area, and you just, like, every time felt like it was like kind of a shock factor for me. It didn't matter how many times I had been there. I, every time you walk in, you're just like, can't believe how big this is once yeah. you walk just in, ma- inside. Just massive. And I, I
0: haven't even been to U.S. Bank Stadium. And I, yeah, it's twice as big. Yeah, I haven't been to that one. I yet can't either. even imagine what that's like inside, but... Uh, but yeah, so they're moving to a new basketball arena built exclusively from the funds of Mar- Harv and Marv, uh, the two Timberwolves owners. So they didn't—they uh, just borrowed money to build this themselves rather than using another arena in town or uh, trying to get the city to build it for them. So coming in with about 19,000 seats, so they'll have less than half the people that they had in some of the larger, more highly attended games the previous season. But with everybody being closer the and everybody being kind of right on top of the, the floor, hopefully it it's a better home crowd, so they're looking forward to a better home court advantage uh, in the second year. Um, they're going to put a Northwest Racquet Club, of course, in the basement of the Target Center because that was where Harv and Marv made all their money in the first place with their, their tennis club associations and buildings. So they're going to put one in the basement, which I think now is a, a lifetime fitness, right? Yep. yep. Yeah. Uh, so then um, as they're going through, they're trying to they're finishing up the, the, Targets, or the Timberwolves Arena. It's not the Target Center yet. We'll get to that. Um, the North Stars that, that season were were for sale, and moving away, the Guns, who we talked a lot about over the previous season, um, were selling the North Stars. And the Timberwolves wanted the North Stars to actually leave the Met Center and come play at the Target Center, and they did a lot of negotiating uh, with the new owners in terms of trying to bring them over to, to play at the Target Center and make it a, a two-sport venue. Um, they even offered them you know, a really good deal, such as Five years with uh, no no rent to play at the Target Center, you know, giving them forty percent of the uh, commission on on uh, concessions and everything like that. And it was a really a really sweet deal, except that what it eventually came down to was that uh, the North Stars and the Timberwolves had conflicting sponsors, and the Timberwolves had agreed that they wouldn't post any conflicting sponsor advertisements in the Target Center than the for the ones that they had already signed agreements with, and since they weren't willing to make that concession the North Stars weren't able to move in and uh, play at the Target Center. Otherwise, they might have moved in immediately, and I don't know if that would have changed the history of the North Stars, but they stayed at the Met Center that year, and the rest is history. Hmm.
1: I didn't know that. That was the reason. That's fine. I mean, I'm guessing banks? Mm-hmm. Two different banks?
0: Is that why, the sponsors? No, I think the, so the Timberwolves had just, had, in all of their contracts with all their sponsors, just said that there wouldn't be any com- competing advertisements right. in the, Stadium. Were, were, the
1: com- were the competitors two banks?
0: No, it was, I mean, I think it was all of them. So it was Coke and Pepsi or Banks or whatever it happened to be. If the Timberwolves had one brand, you know, the McDonald's and Wendy's or whatever it happened to be, the North Stars had a few that were direct competitors with the Timberwolves sponsors. So, um, and since they wanted to uphold that for their sponsors, the North Stars stayed at the Met Center. And, uh, I, I would be, I don't know enough about hockey to say if that led it to them moving at all. I'm sure the new owners wanted to move it anyway, but, um. But yeah, so that was, that was it kind of that's probably would have locked
1: them in for you know a few years beyond that to the point where Norm Green, who ended up being the one that moved them, yeah, would have probably failed and sold them. So yeah, it probably would have changed the timing at least.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, because Norm Green was not the owner buying them in the summer of 1990. It was no. it was different interim owner. So um, they might have held on to it and not let Green come in and swoop it out there, out of there. So very interesting. There found that uh, found that kind of fun. Um, do we need to give uh, a shout-out or uh, RIP to Thomas J. Reiselman? He was the one construction worker who died while building the new arena, so I'm sure everybody's moved on from that over the past 31 years, but uh, if you're talking about the building of the new, new arena, I thought that was only proper to, to bring his name up and give him some credit for it. Uh, his family will never, ever hear this, because barely anybody's ever, ever going to hear this, but uh, it was only right, so I, I found his name. I wanted to say it. Um, Wolfensen uh, came out and said that the arena was going to cost around $100 million eventually to build, which was 25 to $28 million over budget. Um, they still paid for the whole thing out of their pockets, which, as we will find out in later seasons, eventually uh, dooms <laughs> Marvin Marv in terms of their ability to own the team and continue to pay for it. But uh, it, was a, it was a big venture for those two to just pay for everything, not even ask the city for a cent, to just build their own arena and Kind of take the, the thing by the horns and just say, we're going to do this our, our way.
1: Yeah. I mean, you kind of wish we could have more owners like that. There's not a lot of those mm-hmm. <laughs> in, in any of the sports anymore. You know, we're going to, I'm sure, be facing that very soon in the very near future with the new ownership group, too. But um, I, I, I miss those days where you had these owners that were just kind of self serving, they just kind of figured it out and made things happen on their own.
0: Yeah. I mean, well, at the same time, uh, Wolfenson's opinion that an arena was just a warehouse with seats in it might be to how we got the target center in, in the state that it is today.
1: <laughs> but at the time, like it wasn't that, I mean, I, I hadn't, I haven't been to a ton of stadiums at that point, you know, from back then. Um, but I had been uh, you know, like the ones that the Minnesota had to offer and it was still a lot nicer than, uh, the, the Metrodome was. And, you know, um, I don't think it was as as crappy as some of the uh, some of the other arenas the teams are playing in.
0: Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, that's largely it about the arena. Except for on August seventh, it was announced that Target had won naming rights, so we got the the name the Target Center, that still holds today. That was going to hold up for until 1996, I believe, and then have five year renewal periods every every five years after that. So. Uh, I don't know if the contract has changed, if the renewal is at a different pace, but it seems like they're still going strong with that Target Center branding. It would be a shock uh, in 2021 or any time moving forward if they ever changed that name before the Twin Cities got a new arena.
1: Yeah, I hope Target, just because it just feels right. Target being one of the biggest companies out of Minneapolis has a state. Everything's named after a bank, which just feels dirty and gross. I'm just kind of over the... Bank names, um, so hopefully Target holds on to it.
0: Yeah, the other two competitors uh, for the naming rights were Pillsbury and General Mills. So
1: I remember, yep.
0: No banks back then uh, buying the the naming rights, but
1: T- tells you where our uh, economy has gone, huh? Yeah,
0: it's all it's all based <laughs> off interest and. <laughs> so the Wolves have a new arena. Uh, they were at risk, though, of needing a new uh, head of their front office because Billy McKinney was uh, one of the finalists for the. General Manager position over in Denver uh, with the Nuggets, Um, and the Timberwolves had granted him, uh, granted them uh, access or permission to interview him as long as they were going to offer him a promotion. And McKinney was not the GM for the Wolves. Bob Stein didn't want to give him that that title because if he did, that would mean that he was Bill Musselman's boss, and I don't think Stein wanted that wanted that smoke uh, from Bill Musselman. Yeah, or Must didn't want it, and well, Must didn't want it, and Stein didn't want to cross Must, so. Um, McKinney st- wanted to stick around and become the Wolves GM someday, um, but he still went and talked to the Nuggets, um, and uh, there was a lots of lots of uh, trash being talked between McKinney and Musselman that that off season. Musselman had submitted or, or McKinney had submitted a twelve page report to Stein and the owners detailing changes to how the Wolves' operation needed to move forward, and a lot of it he crit- criticized Musselman's coaching. So Musselman took uh, umbrage with that moving forward, and uh, they weren't exactly on the best of tournaments. And they, they bickered in public so often that uh, Marv Wolfenson, the owner, came out in public and stated they needed to cut it out, uh, so they might both be looking for new jobs uh, early in the off season. So they're not even not even to the draft yet, and they're, they're already at each other's throats. One year in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, there was an article that I found in the Star Tribune by uh, Dan Barrero. Um, he was concerned that the Wolves were being too cavalier with McKinney and not giving a promotion to stick around because he was the only voice in the front office willing to push back against Musselman. And, uh, if he left, they, Barrero predicted that somebody like Mark Zuffaletto, who had been Musselman's guy all the way back to the CBA and Musselman brought him in as assistant coach would just be moved over to the front office to just be kind of one of his Bobos and just be a, a talking head, you know, kind of like it was with Tibbs and, uh, Scott Layden when right. you know, in their time here. So, um, that was valid concern. I mean, it's, you know, I, that's how those guys operate
1: yeah like it's they're not gonna you know take if, if you don't share
0: their exact opinion and they're not gonna work with you it's, right yeah you know oddly enough zephaletto then ends up leaving the timberwolves that off-season to go take an assistant coach job with with dallas um so musselman lost one of his guys except uh to replace zephaletto he just uh hired his son eric musselman to be the, the new assistant coach so I don't think Musk was ever willing to not have his guys and, and people who wanted to t- tell him what he wanted to hear on the bench.
1: Yeah. And you, I, I kind of wonder if he was, he left partially either Musk kind of hinted towards him that he wanted to bring his son in and mm-hmm. you know maybe he should move on. Or he was sort of seeing the writing on the wall. that Muss might be a little bit poisonous that, you know, that that stuff could kind of rub off on him and then could jeopardize his, his career going forward when there's, Already, you know, you're a year in to a new franchise, a new position, and the coach is already butting heads with everybody else in the organization.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Musselman just seems like it, Bob Stein's the only backer he has left uh, ahead of him, and uh, everybody under him is just guys that he personally hired to say yes to what he wants to hear. So um, not exactly the the best culture going on with the Timberwolves right now, but um, it hasn't gotten to the point where it's openly toxic just uh secretively toxic at this point at least but uh on june 15th mckinney officially withdrew his name from the consideration for the nuggets job to choose to stick around with minnesota try to work towards the gm position there and that brings us into draft prep it's a it's a draft season the pistons are about to win the, the their second straight nba title uh it's so apparently uh rick mahorn didn't make too much of a difference to them as after he was drafted by the timberwolves in the expansion draft but um the Timberwolves coming in, looking at maybe not one of the greatest draft classes in history, but still coming in with a fairly high pick. Chad, what's what do you remember most about uh, this draft experience or this draft year coming in? Well,
1: I it, it turned out his history has proven it hasn't been a great draft class. However, I, I do remember going into it, there was a lot of quite a bit of hype around it because of Derek Coleman was such mm-hmm. a big star coming out of college. Um, there was a few guys, Chris Jackson, who. Came muhammad abdul rauf he was another one that i remember at the time being like a big star yeah. star yeah. and then because of his ties here Willie Burton who was my personal like favorite for that i wanted the wolves to draft um he was another one that he had a good tournament run i mean he you know he was a a fairly hot prospect i didn't know at my age at that point i didn't know much about gary Payton I didn't know right. much about Kendall Gale um clearly gary Payton was still a well-known player nationally because yep. he went high but he wasn't a household name for me i didn't watch a lot of college basketball i i did know Derek coleman and i knew chris jackson and i knew i knew I, the, the other guys I, in the draft that i knew were guys like bo kimball Ramil robinson those are guys i thought were going to be big stars because i had seen them play in the tournament they look good they were right. like you know like every year you see guys in the tournament you're like, oh this guy's gonna be a star and you know it's one of those guys that like the Michael Beasleys of the world, right? Yeah. These, that's what these guys were in college. They were like the Michael Beasleys, where you're like, oh, these guys are surefire stars. And then they sort of burn out yeah. in the league pretty quickly.
0: Well, you weren't alone in that. A lot of those names were guys that uh, were projected to go to the Wolves and said to be more talented than the players they eventually did take. But uh, not a lot of underclassmen coming into this draft, but they did get Chris Jackson, as you mentioned, and Dennis Scott uh, as big names um, who would go high in this draft uh, coming out before their senior year. Uh, Larry Johnson, who was the other big prize as an underclassman, decided to stay in college at UNLV for one more year. Um, so the if he had come out, that would have changed the top of the draft completely. But um, as it was, it was Coleman and quite a few guards. Uh, the Wolves had the fifth best uh, lottery odds um, coming in. So they had a 10% chance at the first pick, 11% chance at the second, 11% chance at the third. Uh, since only the top three picks were drawn in the lottery, they didn't have any chance of getting the fourth pick and then 12 a 12 percent chance at the fifth and actually their highest percent of chance was the sixth pick at 36 percent um the wolves uh brought in a a psychic named ruth lorden uh, (laughs) to read bob stein's palm during a news conference ahead of the lottery and to try to summon all cosmic energy um which was just ridiculous and then stein doubled down on that by taking a, a rabbit's foot, a lucky troll doll, garlic, a box of Lucky charm cereal, some wild rice and sage, and a copper hand to the lottery with him. So he was uh, all of the superstitions in one, trying to trying to win that lottery, but alas, not so much. It's weird it didn't work. I know. It seemed like a sure-fired plan. It worked so poorly that on May twentieth, 1990, when the lottery results were being read, David Stern announced that the sixth pick went to the Minnesota North Stars. So, so he, not only did they uh, not win the first pick, Stern forgot the the t- franchise's name when he was announcing out. Night. So
1: by by the way, Stern had a lot of trouble around that time with our uh, our team nickname because, as I mentioned before, we got on air. I I rewatched the draft, and when he announced the pick, he he like stumbles. He gets Minnesota, and then it's like a long pause <laughs> as he's trying to figure out like what's their name again. It's like
0: come on, it's not that hard. <laughs> no, how many new teams do you have? I, I am not that. As an aside, I'm still surprised that we have never been rebranded as just the Wolves. Just to make it simpler, sometime over the past thirty years, I think I would have thought somebody would have had that idea to just shorten it, and make it easier on jerseys and what whatnot.
1: I know nationally, people brought it up before, like, like questioning it, right? Like why why do you they like, insist on calling themselves the Timberwolves? What the hell's a Timberwolf? Right. Uh, but I don't know. I I actually. I don't know if it's just because it's nostalgia for me because... Oh, yeah, the,
0: I like Timberwolves. I'm yeah, just surprised I, they haven't or, done it. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, like, on their jerseys, they have it
0: just as Wolves when mm-hmm. they're, like, at home. Yep.
1: Um, so...
0: Well, now yeah. that now the Iowa G League team is the Wolves, so they've, they've used it. So I, I don't think there will be a change anytime soon. But in all the rebrandings they've done, I'm surprised they've never gone in that direction. Yeah. So uh, anything's better than T-Wolves, though can't go with well, wolves. and that's
1: the other thing everybody like gets hates is that
0: yeah you know that didn't get me i didn't quite understand the hate behind it until somebody i saw somebody call port the portland team the t tea blazers once and i was like nope <laughs> <laughs> that's that apparently that's what i've been missing the whole time and calling and seeing well, t wolves see and i i guess it doesn't bother me
1: when i hear people call say t wolves but like the t blazers Trailblazers and T Blazers are the same in amount of syllables. Yeah. Timberwolves, you're at least shortening it. You know, like there's no reason to shorten Trailblazers. Like it's the same in amount of syllables, whether it's Trailblazers or they do
0: call them the Blazers, right? Like, yeah. No. Right. Blazers is fine. Trailblazers yeah. is fine. But the yeah, T most... yeah. Blazers is annoying. Why
1: would you do that? There's <laughs> I <don't> no. Know. <laughs> no
0: okay so the final draft order uh, after the lottery is new jersey who had the best uh, odds of winning the lottery and then seattle who jumps up from behind the wolves up to the second spot Um, so stern is pretty happy right now that the the lottery reform is is working then um, to try to get some some teams who wouldn't have normally gotten a high pick to move up as well as rewarding some of the the worst teams too miami orlando and charlotte take the next three picks the other uh, expansion franchises from around the time is minnesota and minnesota comes in sixth Sacramento, the Clippers, Dallas, Golden State, and Atlanta round out the lottery, but uh, we're not quite as worried about them because they, they draft after the Timberwolves, so they can shove it. Yeah,
1: and that's, that's just the first of many years where the Stern gets to stick it to the Wolves. Yeah, number <laughs> you know, He doesn't. I mean, it shows you a blacker spec respect. You can't even remember their name. And, I know. you know, they're like, yep, out of all the expansion teams, we're the only one that moves down. Well, technically, I know our, the odds were we're going to, more than likely pick six, but, like, of course, Seattle moves up, and, you know, the, yeah. the Wolves are the team that moves down, not Charlotte or Orlando mm-hmm. or, you know, so it's just, it's, you can't make it up. It's like that every year for several years.
0: But, you know, the, what they say, the, the only thing worse, worse than anger is apathy. So Stern Stern doesn't even care about us enough to rig the odds against us. It's, he doesn't even care. He can't even remember our name. But uh, No,
1: I, I, and I don't think he rigs it, but I think he – I think he's delighted when it happens. <laughs> yep.
0: <laughs> he's like, oh, good. So some of the top names, uh, we mentioned a couple, but Derek Coleman, uh, Dennis Scott, Lionel Simmons, Willie Burton from the U, Kendall Gill is a big uh, wing prospect, Gary Payton and Chris Jackson as point guards. Uh, the Wolves are said to love Gill, um, but if they wanted to draft a, a power player, an inside guy, they would be looking at guys like Tyrone Hill, Felton Spencer, Dwayne Coswell, Dwayne Shinsis, and Rumi Robinson. So... Quite a long name, a list of names for the, the Wolves to sift through as the draft comes down, as they, they start doing their prep. Um, they And we can't forget they also have the 20th pick in the draft um, from Philadelphia due to the Rick Mahorn trade the year before. So um, everybody's saying they're, they're going to go wing and then big or big and then wing, and that largely it's going to be McKinney pushing for a wing early and a big late and uh, Musselman pushing for a big early and a wing late. Uh, McKinney was even quoted saying that They'd have a really hard time dra- drafting a big at number six due to the number of uh, centers coming out in the following drafts over the next few years, including uh, Alonzo Mourning, Dikembe Matumbo, Shaquille O'Neal, and Luke Longley was included in that list. So uh, out of New Mexico. So um, at the moment, yeah, heading into the draft, everything's kind of pointing towards the Wolves wanting to go with a wing, and uh, lots of reports that uh, Kendall Gill would have been their guy just due to the way. Uh, the draft looked like it was going to play out with some of the, t- the higher picks.
1: Yeah, and Kendall Gill was another one. I I did know that name at the draft time, and he was a guy maybe partially because yeah, as a kid I liked the Charlotte Hornets jersey, so I became a, a fan pretty quick of his, mm-hmm. particularly after the following year when they get Larry Johnson. But um, So Gill was a guy I always follow, and then obviously many years later he'll he'll uh, be reconnected with the Minnesota franchise, but yep. he, he was another guy. I... But like I said, um, Willie Burton was my guy in that draft that I wanted badly. He was my favorite gopher of all time, even over um Vashon Leonard or Bobby Jackson. Vashawn Leonard was a close second. Um, I didn't I, I like Bobby Jackson, but I liked him better as a pro. Um, but so Willie Burton was like the the guy for me. I love yeah. that guy.
0: Yeah, I mean for in terms of gophers, Vashaun Leonard early for me and then Bobby Jackson and Sam Jacobson were kind of the guys that were right were the big names right when I was kind of rolling through my interest level in them and then everything fell apart with that team but yeah uh, but uh, I, I don't remember Tony Burton as much um or Willie Burton I mean and uh, yeah they were
1: they were awesome because that was you know Clem was the coach still um Burton and and Bashan were Bashan was there that year too this mm-hmm. year right before Burton left and so those two guys together I mean Bashan kind of came on strong towards the end of the year and then Burton was always the star, and then that um, that offseason or that college tournament, Burton was just money yeah. and like really kind of became a star. Um, and so I, I mean, he, he ends up going pretty high anyway. But I thought he would be a, you know, in play there for the Wolves. I was like, oh, this is gonna work out perfect. Like these other guys, like oh, you know, Willie Burton should still be available at six. I, mm-hmm. I just can't remember all my friends and I talking about that, being excited that prospect
0: yeah uh wing wise at least at the top of the draft um it was largely dennis scott and kendall gill um the wolves snuck kendall gill in for a workout uh, kind of secretly they used the alias nick basil when he checked into his hotel so that people wouldn't know he was in town um but apparently he didn't shoot well enough to impress musselman and then uh musselman was always a big fan of dennis scott but there were lots of reports that scott wasn't a good enough defender and was actually way too similar to tony campbell um, to really be a long-term success in the NBA so um, not a, a surefire wing at the top of the draft but those are the two names that uh, the Wolves are at least linked to if they were going to go wing and try to hopefully have one of those guys fall to them uh, Sid came out and suggested that the Wolves draft Bloomington native Alec Kessler who was a 6'11 big man from Georgia so of course Sid wanted a, a Minnesota native um, San Antonio offered Frank Perkowski for the sixth pick but the Wolves weren't interested in that due to his age thank goodness um, and then, uh, the last thing that happened before the draft that actually shook up, uh, what happened, um, in the, the eventual results was that Miami traded pick three to Denver for picks nine and 13. Um, and Denver was known essentially by the whole league that they were going to take Chris Jackson. So even though Musselman was a big fan of Chris Jackson, he was he wasn't going to be there. And I saw a report that, uh, Chris Jackson's college coach suggested he didn't he would, didn't go to Minnesota because he didn't think he would mesh well with Musselman. And apparently Jackson had Tourette's, so he didn't—he wasn't a guy that you could yell at in order to motivate him. You had to kind of walk, go alongside him. And his uh, his college coach really didn't want him playing for Musselman.
1: Yeah, his Tourette's would emerge in a big way, like yeah. when they became a playoff team later down the road. It was—you'd um, see him having his mm-hmm. tics and stuff on, you know, in the middle of a game. It was kind of interesting. Um I, and I, when I watched the draft, or rewatched it, you know, the, the, sort of the lead up to the picks, they were talking about other guys that they that the national guys, which was like Doug Collins and I don't even know who the other guy was, but they were linking the Wolves to so, many of the guys you mentioned, Kendall Gill, Dennis Scott, uh, but they also had Travis Mays in there, who's a point guard, okay. as well as Ramil Robinson. As two guys that they thought the Wolves might be um, driving as yeah. you yeah as you pointed out you know the consensus was that the Wolves would either go big and then small or small and then big um what is also pretty interesting about that looking back at how people talked in 1990 when they said big man they strictly meant center yeah like when they talked about it because even Derek Coleman they didn't really talk about as a big man even though he's listed as a powers Mm -hmm. forward slash center and so when they talked about that they were like there's really only two guys you could go here um if you're going to take a center and that was Felton Spencer or a big man, as they said, yeah. Felton Spencer or Loy Vott were the only two guys that in Loy Vott is listed as a power forward, but I don't know that much about him. Maybe he's a bigger guy, but those were the only two guys that the, the national media that were covering the draft. We're talking about, they're saying, and their thoughts were that neither of those guys were going to be starting big men long-term. They felt both of them were either projects early yep. or they were going to be ultimately a second string player for the most of the better part of their career. So they felt like guards were where this draft was strong in. Mm-hmm. And so they, you know, leading up to the, when the draft got rolling, they were all predicting that the Minnesota would take one of those guards that we were linked to.
0: Yeah. You know, and the draft ended up being kind of all over the place. Um, the Wolves two days before the draft actually made a trade. Uh, they traded their second round pick for, for guard Scotty Brooks from Philadelphia. So they uh, shored up their, their point guard rotation and point guard depth uh, with a, a guy that had played for Musselman in the CBA and was known as just kind of a hard-nosed, uh, pressure of the ball full-court, uh, tough, persistent, coachable guy. Um, Zagoda called him, said he was a consummate muscleman player, tough, persistent, coachable, not overly talented, and short. So apparently the muscleman had a type. Um, a, lot like, a, lot, a lot like Sidney Lowe. Um, but, yeah, they had a history there, so they bring in Scotty Brooks, uh, who we all are very familiar with now if we're NBA fans. And I, I remember him fondly from his playing days with Minnesota, but uh, they, they swing a trade for him two days before the draft, and, and then it's draft day. Uh, the first five picks um, in, the, in the first round before the Wolves are on the board end up being uh, Derek Coleman goes first to uh, New Jersey, uh, Gary Payton goes to the Sonics, and he actually went to the Sonics because the Magic traded the Sonics uh, two second-round picks in 1993 and 1995 to not take Dennis Scott. Um, so I don't know if Dennis Scott would have gone to Seattle if that trade hadn't happened, and changed uh, kind of the the future of that of the Sonics franchise. But um, Seattle ends up taking Gary Payton because they agreed not to take Dennis Scott, and then as we talked earlier. Uh, jackson goes to to denver because everybody knew they wanted him and then dennis scott eventually falls to orlando and then kendall gill goes to charlotte right before minnesota so the wings and and the top two wings the top two point guards and the the best power forward are all off the board before minnesota is up to up to bat here um so even looking back with hindsight there's not there weren't a ton of awesome options here so it's really hard to say whether or not the timberwolves made a great pick or, or a horrible pick but uh they end up going with Louisville Center Felton Spencer, so Musselman got his way. Yeah, and, and so looking back at it,
1: I did look at some articles from the day after the draft, and the Wolves got a B plus grade mm-hmm. for for the pick of Felton Spencer. Um, they felt like he had big, you know, great size and a strong work ethic, which was Largely, what you hear about in all the scouting reports. Um, but the other thing that the grade- graders gave us was because he had a, um, a scoring potential was another reason why. And that was not his strength coming out of college. He was a very unpolished offensive player. Um, he was a pretty good rebounder and a good shot blocker. But he's a big guy. I mean, he. I think coming out of college, he was listed at seven foot and a half inch and two hundred and sixty-five pounds. Yep. Um, but I think I don't know. Pretty early into his career, he was over seven two and two ninety. I mean, he, he was still growing, I think at that point. Um, but yeah, I grew up in Kentucky. Um, he went to the, the state tournament in high school, uh, multiple times, but they were eliminated early in both, uh, both years that he made it there. Um, he ended up playing college ball at Louisville, became the all time Google percentage leader there. He started his senior year. He was actually a backup his first three years, the Purvis Ellison, who was a high draft pick, mm-hmm. uh, previous to that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, kind of interesting to me you know, that the Wolves went big. You know, like like I said, watching that, rewatching that draft, they were talking about how if the Wolves went big there, that all the other teams behind us were going to be scrambling to figure out where they were going to go because there were several teams that were, um, or sorry, if the Wolves went small there, there, were, those teams would be scrambling because there was, you know, only a couple more guards that were kind of viewed as those top tier guys yeah like Ramil robinson bo kimball were were two of the big ones um you know interesting enough i mentioned travis mays he didn't go until later you know several picks later and i i didn't hear a lot of buzz about him other than what those guys were saying you know connecting him to the wolves so um kind of interesting there but yeah it's it's funny watching back those those drafts and kind of hearing what they said their their scouting report was that Felton Spencer improves daily. He's highly coachable and a hard worker, which is why they felt like Musselman really liked him because yep. you know hard working is key to that. Um, he also was had a really strong draft camp, um, and then his weaknesses were low post offense and he was slow with limited athleticism. So kind of a plodding big man, even in an era of plodding big, big man. man. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't, I can't, you know, I remember watching him and I, I don't remember him see seen as slow as like a randy brewer but randy brewer at that point was much older and a lot bigger even and yeah randy brewer was a giant Seven, of a three, man yeah yeah so yeah i mean they uh the other thing they talked about on that broadcast was that the clippers were really high on felton spencer okay. and we're hoping that he was gonna fall to them they ended up taking bo kimball just a couple picks later um and, and one of the guys that the Wolves were rumored to be interested in. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, so like I said, it's, it's hard to say that the Timberwolves made a bad pick here. Uh, Felton Spencer ends up having a 12-year NBA career, and there aren't a lot of guys in this draft who you can say that about. Um, but some of the, the notables that came after him, Willie Burton from the U went 9 to Miami. Uh, Tyrone Hill went 11. Uh, Loy Vaught went 13th. Terry Mills went 16th. D. Brown, the future slam dunk champion, goes 19th. Uh, the Wolves come back around, uh, take their guard at number twenty with Gerald Glass, who's a six-five, two hundred and twenty-nine pound off guard from Mississippi. Uh, he averaged twenty-six points per game in two seasons with Mississippi, uh, but the the two hundred and twenty-nine pounds he was carrying weren't an Anthony Edwards style two hundred and twenty-nine pounds. Uh, he was he was said to have a weight problem uh, even as a as a six-five wing. So, um, but if if he was able to pull his scoring together and continue that in the NBA, he was he was supposed to be. Ah, uh, one of the top scorers in college, coming out and coming in as a rookie.
1: Yeah. So what's interesting is some of the stuff I was doing on him. There, were ESPN or it wasn't ESPN. I forget. Um, I actually probably have the link to they. Have, I found a website that it was like a Bleacher Report type thing or whatever, where they broke down the thirteen most prolific scores in in, in the modern era of the NCAA. And this is like the guys in this grouping were like Michael Beasley, Kevin Durant, mm-hmm. Steph Curry. Um, Trey Young, all these guys. And Gerald Glass was one of those guys that they yeah. had in that list. So, and he had a huge monster game that kind of elevated him to national prominence against uh, Muhammad abdul uh, you know, when he was still Chris Jackson against LSU. It was like an overtime game. They each went up for over 50 points. Gerald Glass had 53, including the winning free throw that um, won the game for them. And from that moment on, he – Elevated himself to potentially going in a top ten to fifteen. There was talk yeah that he'd be a lottery pick, um and so he was, you know, kind of a surprise watching that that he dropped to twenty. To be honest, it, cause watching some of the highlights around him, he he did have a little bit of a weight problem, but the guy was a pretty good athlete too. He he was dunking on guys um, and a good three point shooter. I mean, he he could score from all over. and You know, the downside to him was he wasn't a great passer. Mm-hmm. He was a decent rebounder. He actually reminded me a little bit of, um, you know, in terms of what his strengths were of Ty Corbin. He was very similar skill set. Like he could, he was a bucket and he was a rebounder, um, which incidentally, when I was watching back the, the stuff on Willie Burton, the guy I wanted, also very similar to Ty Corbin, similar size, was a scorer who could rebound, didn't do much else. Um, Ty Corbin's probably a better defender and stuff, which is I'm sure why the Wolves didn't um, consider Willie Burton there. But uh, but yeah, Jared Glass was... You know, one of the most prolific scorers in that draft for sure.
0: Yeah, he averaged like 29 points per game his junior year in college. Um, Not quite as high as senior year, which is, like you said, why he fell from a a top 10 projection to going 20th to the Timberwolves. But there's always those guys, you know, every year. uh, The Tyrese Maxey last year, you know, Desmond Bain, who you think are going to go higher. They have the potential to go higher. And as they start dropping into the 20s, you start getting really excited as a fan for for picking up one of these steals of the draft, and they never end. I mean, rarely do they end up being as good as you thought they would be, and they they usually fall for a reason, just as uh, Gerald Glass most likely will show over the next few years here with the Timberwolves. But um, at the time, the Wolves and the the media surrounding the Wolves were actually even more excited for for the Gerald Glass pick than they were for the Felton Spencer pick. Um, But, yeah, so he goes 20th. Um, Eldon Campbell goes to the Lakers at 27th. Uh, the last pick of the first round. and the sec- I was always a
1: big Eldon Campbell fan. Yeah, he I had always- a long career
0: in the NBA. Yeah. But the second round, oddly enough, might have been maybe not better than the first round, but just as many notable names that went in the second round of this draft. But, you know, Tony Kukoc goes 29th, spends a couple years before he comes over, but anybody that's watched The Last Dance knows the history of that pick. Uh, Judd Bushler, uh, who isn't a big name, but if you were a Bulls fan in the mid-'90s, you know who that is. Uh, Bimbo Coles goes 40th. Antonio Davis, who has a huge career for Indiana, he goes 45th. And Cedric Sabalos, who uh, shows up again, you know, only a couple years later in the finals with Phoenix, uh, goes 48th. And he has a long, uh, strong career with multiple teams. So lots of big names there in the second round.
1: Yeah, even Greg Foster, he went in the second round. And he, you know, he was a key piece for those Utah teams that played against the the Chicago Bulls.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Philadelphia ends up taking a guy named Brian Oliver with the pick that they acquired for Scotty Brooks, so I don't think the the Wolves lost out too much on there. They lost out on the potential with some of those other names that I read off, but uh, who who know, who believes that the Timberwolves would have taken one of them if they had kept the pick? So they didn't want three rookies again on the in a second year of a franchise uh, expansion franchise. So um, if you if you want to look at the career win shares from Basketball Reference.com for the the guys drafted in this class, uh, Gary Payton far and away leads the list with 145 uh, career win shares. Second is Derek Coleman at 64. So that that just tells you uh, how much better Gary Payton was than the rest of the field. He more than laps the field here. Uh, Eldon Campbell was the third best player uh, in the draft class, according to career win shares. Tony Kukoc and Antonio Davis tie for fifth. And then Tyrone Hill actually comes in at seventh. So those are the kind of the top players when it comes to the, the length of their careers, but, and the production that they put up during that time. But, um, but yeah, so I mean, felt, but like I said, Felton Spencer played twelve years for multiple teams. Um, not a not an all star career by any means, but uh, not a not a, not a scrub. You know, he kind of falls into that expectation that you mentioned that I saw multiple places that he was just going to be a long time backup center.
1: Yeah, a big strong guy, and you know, when you you look at him, you know, the the, the m- other correlation I, I compare it to be like Ola Candy. He wasn't as talented as Ola Candy. Um, but he's one of those big guys where you look at, he looks the part. You're like, oh yeah, that, I bet you that guy can play. Mm-hmm. And he just didn't have the motor. He just, not that he wasn't a hard worker. He just wasn't super competitive. He wasn't a dynamic personality. He was just kind of a low key guy. And, um, you know, it was kind of like a Wiggins personality, right? The way Andrew Wiggins is just not a fiery, you know, energetic personality like Anthony Edwards, he, he, you know, Edwards is just infectious. His, yep got all this energy and everything he does every interview is great you know felton spencer was much more low-key but you look at him you're like yeah, that guy i mean he's a beast you know like he's he, you know he was you know, a giant in height but he was he, he wasn't a skinny um like randy brewer type who was you know super tall but you know uh felton spencer was built almost like a shack you know yeah. he was um just had a awesome nba body he just wasn't uh didn't have the talent that or, or you know he wasn't the, the, the polished offensive talent you know defensively I mean he was a pretty good shot blocker and, and a good rebounder but um you know if, if you could have just lit a fire under him and got him to be a little bit more of a competitive person I mean I think that happens a lot with those big guys you know it's to this day it's still you still see that with seven footers who you know their their entire childhood they can dominate without having to be that competitive because they're the tallest kid on the court you get to those higher levels whether it's in college or in the pros and there's other seven footers who are you know as big or bigger than you and if they're even a little bit more competitive they're gonna mop Mm you and uh, that's kind of what felt like happened with felton spencer even though he got better you know every year in college and um was kind of Labeled as a, a quick learner or a highly coachable guy, a, a, a good guy, easy guy to to you know get along with and all that kind of stuff. Um, he just you know the the downside was he just wasn't as competitive as you you had hoped he would. You you wanted a little bit more of a mean streak from your your big man.
0: Well, the the wolves are also backing themselves into a corner here, building a roster around a coach that not only had a, a history of. Uh, running out of patience with the people around him and not having long a long tenure at anywhere that he went to, but um, could only coach one, one way. So he was bu- he was trying to build a roster of players that fit his way of playing, and in the process also pushing out talented players that didn't play his way. So eventually it was going to come down to a point where you either stuck with Bill Musselman forever and tried to continue to to grow in that pattern, or the roster that you were left with when he left wasn't going to be as successful or have the the potential to grow with another coach so um, Musselman is really asserting his his will on this franchise it's it's a there are so many parallels with him and and Thibodeau and what happened when Thibodeau eventually comes back as the head coach instead of Musselman's assistant Um, but he's just get bringing in his guys and he's making sure that top to bottom it's it's his way or the highway
1: oh yeah yeah I mean it's becoming more and more clear like it's weird because you read back some of those old articles and stuff and some of the interviews with mussman are pretty entertaining but on the same time you're just like wow this guy really i could see why people didn't get along with him very well yeah <laughs> he was, you know could come off as kind of a jerk pretty arrogant um and he's you know a small guy so it's like if you're uh a, i mean and not felton Spencer, i i've never Heard or read anything where he ever had issues with them. But if you're a big guy playing in the NBA, or a world class athlete, and you get this little guy just barking at you, treating mm-hmm. you like garbage, it's got to be hard to keep your mouth shut and not, you know,
0: yeah, go off. I mean, there was a generation of coaches that coached that way, but Musselman seemed to be uh, kind of one of a kind, and he he had a couple disciples, but for the most part, he just, I don't know, he uh, he's not somebody that I feel like I would have been friends with. But I'm also not an NBA coach, so. Who knows?
1: Uh, it's funny too. I did find out uh, ESPN rated this entire 1990 NBA draft, um, and they gave the entire draft class a D. <laughs> um, best pick clearly it was Gary Payton. Um, they they gave the second overall pick. The worst pick they graded was Felton Spencer, Fun. which I feel like is pretty unfair. But it it's is pretty on brand for ESPN to con- constantly like yeah rag on the Wolves. Oh yeah, because come on, like you said. He played 12 years in the NBA, and I would say probably only a third of these guys played more than three or four seasons. Um, so to call Felton Spencer the worst pick, when, I mean, he played longer than Lionel Simmons, Bo Kimball, Willie Burton, Ramil Robinson, like all the guys that were picked immediately after him, Felton, Felton Spencer played more years in the NBA. So on its face, it's just wrong. Yeah. Um,
0: I mean, even but- the direct immediate critics of the pick at the time the guys that they were pushing for were those guys you just mentioned. It was Kimball and Robinson and Travis Mays and Willie Burton, and they said that the Timberwolves could have gone with a more talented player than Felton Spencer and gone with any one of those guys, and they, none of them proved that they yeah, and had that talent. I mean, there was one report before the draft saying that the Wolves should have gone with Tyrone Hill if they wanted to go with a big man, and that would have been a better pick just with the career he ended up with uh, in Cleveland, but overall, there was there wasn't really anything better that was a consensus for the Wolves to go with.
1: No, I mean, especially... Now looking back at the time, yeah, all those talking heads thought those guys were better. But this was this rating was in two thousand nine, so like these ESPN knuckleheads had the benefit of being able to go back and look at all these guys' careers would have wrapped by then. Yeah, and they they kind of looked at it, and they still oh it's Felton Spencer because the Wolves picked him. You know, it's just such a lazy job. I mean, it's just there are some good writers at ESPN. There are so many trash writers that it just, it, there's so much garbage you have to sift through on that. Um, that's So I just, I thought it was humorous because it's just like, you know, the, the whole reason I guarantee you this guy that wrote it, all he did is went and looked and said, Oh, who did the Timberwolves pick? That's the worst pick. Right. <laughs> just, you know, he didn't even look at the rest of the, the list. If he did, he would have noticed. I, and I, I looked at the guy's name. I didn't, uh, it wasn't a big you know, household name writer, but, um, I don't really remember who it was anymore, and frankly, doesn't even matter. But <laughs> it's just—I thought it was humorous that they, you know, had to rag on him anyway. I know because, like, you know, like you know, Willie Burton. I remember him going off for fifty-three points. So I wanted to look up I, in, for whatever reason, in my head, I thought that was against the Chicago Bulls, um, but it wasn't. It was actually against Miami Heat after he got traded by Miami to. He went to Philadelphia, and he just went off. And like he was literally out of the league the following year, like you know. So and and I the reason why I remember about Willie Burton scoring fifty three one because he was my favorite collegiate player, but two it's the guy I always point at when I get in debates with people about how little scoring means in the NBA because everybody that makes the NBA can score. Mm-hmm. It's scoring's the least you know unique trait in an NBA ball player. Uh, I I'd much prefer a defensive player, which is why I always pers- have these personal. Favorite guys like the Andre Iguodala of the world, or even the Ricky Rubio's, the guys that aren't known for their scoring. If they can score, great. That's a, clearly an, an added bonus. But I prefer the guys that do a little bit of everything else because you can go on the street and get a Willie Burton to come in for you and score 53 points if you really need a score. Yes. You know, and the, the Wolves had lots of guys like that: James Hollywood Robinson, you know, uh, Derek Martin. All these guys could come in and be like little lightning um, bolts for you for a short period of time. Yep.
0: Don't forget and, Mo Williams.
1: And Mo Williams, and so Willie Burton was just another one of those guys, and that's why I always remember it. So, yeah, he, you
0: know,
1: his career was a flash in the pan compared to Felton Spencer. So to, to be critical of that pick is just silly. Me and, and Willie Burton wouldn't have been the worst pick. You know, there's there's so many other guys
0: on this. Yeah. You know, like th- that
1: were were worse picks than some of these. You know, than Felton Spencer. I mean,
0: I I even looked. found a mock from before the draft saying that the. Dwayne Shinsus was going to go fifth right before the Timberwolves pick. And he doesn't go until the 20s. And you never heard about Dwayne Shinsus again. Like, there are lots of guys in this draft that you've never heard of because they just didn't have a career worth knowing about.
1: When it's, and like you said, the second round was maybe not better, but every bit as strong as the first round when you have – I mean, it's almost completely even. you got one Hall of Famer um, when you got three All-Star players and one – you know coleman made it i think all nba once um but then in the second round you have two all stars plus a hall of famer as well so you know it's it's shows you that i mean to to this day it's probably not not a lot changed. change where you always have these surprises coming in the second round but you know clearly it wasn't a science yet it was still yeah you know, it's more an art form of selecting the right guy um like i'll, so. I'll give
0: them tony kukoc like European players were still such a an unknown at that right, time. Right. I mean, they were an unknown up until a few years ago, I and mean, we just saw the MVP of the league come come be the forty first draft pick. You know, because right, right. he came from Europe and nobody knew how to scout him correctly. So, um, if you if you get a guy like Tony Kukoc early in the second round, like I'm not going to you know beg on anybody for not having taken him in the first round. That's just not fair at the especially at the time with the, at the resources that everybody had. But I mean it was a crapshoot league with the draft at that time and everybody was trying to do their best and sure, you know, some of the, if you it took the top 10 players, half of them would have come in the top five picks, but the rest of it was just kind of a, you know, a toss up for the rest of that first round.
1: Yeah. And even, um, watching the back the draft, it was kind of, you know, like obviously the one that sticks out is the, the Christian Leitner draft with Shaq and mm-hmm. Zoe and those guys. And, you know, like the, the running joke for, us diehard Timberwolves fans is if there's three good players, we'll get the fourth pick. Yep. If There's four good players. We'll get the fifth pick. And then this was a draft where they said there was five good players, yep. five really good players. And sure enough, the Wolves ended up with a sixth pick. No, not that didn't even pan out. Like Dennis Scott wasn't as good as Tyrone Hill or, you know, Kukoc or even Jason Williams or Antonio Davis or Cedric Sabalos is probably closer to his caliber, yep. but was picked almost at the end of the draft. So, um, those didn't all pan out, but you know, the rest of those guys all had pretty good careers.
0: So, I mean, and even Dennis Scott, like maybe it's just because Orlando made it to the finals that, that one year, but you know who Dennis Scott is, yeah, yeah, yeah he's even a household as name,
1: yeah, but he's a what he was like a third or fourth, fourth option on that team, so yeah, absolutely. Wasn't but like
0: Felton Spencer was never even a household name, no. so
1: yeah, no, but I don't know that. Uh, Dennis Scott would have been a household name if he didn't play with Shaq and Penny and you mm-hmm. know, like, uh, that, right. I it, mean, he, he got he the,
0: the lift from that. Absolutely. You know, so did Nick Anderson from the previous yep, draft. Yep, so,
1: yep. And, and Felton Spencer got a little bit of a, uh push with the, you know, Carmelone and, mm-hmm. and Stockton when he was in Utah, he was a more well-known player. Um, but he, you know, was traded after, before they, they made
0: multiple runs. Yeah.
1: At a title. So, so
0: that's the draft. The Wolves walk out with with their two players, Spencer and Glass. Uh, they they've got free free agency coming up to round out the roster. Uh, the salary cap in the NBA is going to rise from nine point eight million to eleven point nine million. So uh, quite a large jump, at least in terms of percentage wise. Percentage-wise, uh, that that year, um, the Magic and the Wolves, who came in as expansion teams the previous year, will have a cap of eight point nine million since they're still trying to start from the bottom and and work their way up so for some reason they were limited on how much they could spend uh, in relation to the rest of the league so they'll have about three million dollars less to spend than the rest of the teams but I think their their overall number coming in was so low that they didn't have any chance of getting there even with Felton Spencer signing a a contract worth around a million dollars a year as a rookie but um, but it was just uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time here because it just wasn't a big free agent year for the for the Timberwolves.
1: No, they're largely going to just run it back, you know, bring mm-hmm. back the same guys. They, I mean, and it makes some sense because you're like, how do you build any momentum? Um, you get you add two first round picks to a already pretty young team. Um, you know, like what do you, what do you really gain by making? I mean, they made a trade at the end of their, their first season, but or you know, middle to the end of their first season by getting Randy Brewer. Um, so like, how much more of a shakeup do you want? Um, you you sort of got to architect that entire team from scratch so mm-hmm. it's not like a you know when you hire a new coach the co- the new coach has to come in and kind of you know juggle some pieces around to get the kind of guys they want to fit their system in this case it, your team's only a year old so you have every piece that you got is a guy you pick because of your system so yeah. you know there's not a lot of change you need to make at this point
0: yeah i mean they've made some moves around the edges you know they They ended up cutting uh, one of our favorites, Scott Roth, uh, along with Brad Sellers. Um, So they weren't going to come back. They extended a qualifying offer to Donald Royal, but he chose to play in Israel instead, so he wasn't going to come back. Um, They signed a bunch of guys to to training camp invites, guys like Tim Legler, uh, who you might be familiar with from ESPN, Leon Wood, Ronnie Grandison, Glenn Putty, Johnny Rogers, uh, Richard Coffey, Brian Roussel, a bunch of names that – most fans aren't going to be super familiar with. Coffee was another another gopher, um, so that one, one might ring a bell more than others. Um, but for the most part, like you said, they had a roster of guys who, except for Randy Brewer, every single one of them they would have hoped or should have hoped would improve from one year to the next, and they would have actually taken another step forward as a as a young team.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it, I guess we'll see how the, this uh, strategy plays out as we kind of cover the rest of the, you know, the season nineteen ninety, but um, you know, you have you have a, a core that you like. You know, you still have your Sam Mitchell and Pooh Tony Campbell and Ty Corbin and all these guys that were sort of emerging for you and showing that they might have some game. Um, you know, and even though it was a you know, a losing season, it was still a surprising season in the sense that you're in your expansion team you outperformed all the other expansion teams. So you know, build on that momentum rather than completely just shuffling the deck for the sake of shuffling the deck
0: yeah and i can't say i uh disagree with the strategy you know you you hope to bring in some young guys but that's what that's what they did with the, the draft and it wouldn't have made any sense to go out and sign a 28 year old free agent to try to bring you know lift them another level or put them over the top because they just weren't there yet so um some of the more surprising signings or almost signings or rumored signings that they had over the offseason were that they went after uh, michael williams a point guard who would play for detroit and charlotte um, they had been rumored to be in negotiations on a trade for him the year before, so that's two years in a row that they were interested in Michael Williams, um, and at a time when they already have uh, multiple point guards in the roster, I don't know how much sense that made. They also made a, a offer for restricted free agent Steve Kerr and signed him to an offer sheet, but that was matched by Cleveland Cavaliers, so who knows what Steve Kerr's future would have looked like if he'd actually uh, been let go and been allowed to come to the Timberwolves. Um, he probably still would have ended up being a coach because that was uh, Scott Brooks' future as well but um but you know so they're pointing at all these point guards um not able to get any of them in free agency uh, and actually found out uh middle of the summer why because sydney lowe decided to retire uh their starting point guard at the beginning of their inaugural season and one of uh, bill musselman's Key guys, uh, he—I don't know if it was due to injury. I wasn't able to find out if it was back issues that he, he dealt with kind of throughout his whole season, or if it was just the fact that he couldn't couldn't quite hack it anymore, and Pooh had passed him on the depth chart. But on September he, twenty, he was sick of playing forty-eight minutes, <laughs> right? Either forty-eight or zero were his two right, options. Right. Yeah, like, off.
1: I don't need to go through this again.
0: So he, he officially retires on September twenty-seventh, right before training camp, and actually agrees to become an a, an assistant coach on and staff. So he's moving to the bench. Uh, the Wolves are still looking at point guards though you'd you'd think they would have been set with uh uh poo and scotty brooks as their depth chart there but they're still trying to tackle that one so uh as we head into the training camp in our in our next episode we'll talk through uh what that quest for a point guard actually ends up meaning for the team and kind of the the long-term ramifications that uh come from it so chad i don't know uh if we have as much to look forward to in the second season as we did in the first season. Everything was so fresh and new in that 89-90 season. We were able to spend multiple episodes talking about the the lead up, the the whole off season trying to figure out exactly how that roster was put together and there's not a lot of changes here so we know who some of the guys are but um, hopefully some of them can take significant steps steps forward in their second season with with the team. Who are you most excited to to look into and and find out how they did in the second year?
1: It's the same guys for me. It's still Poo and it's um, you know, seeing how Corbin emerges after you know sort of a surprising first season, um, and then Sam Mitchell and Tony Campbell, of course. Um, so, you know, who's Poo, the guy still for me at this point in the, the franchise's history? Um, he's you know your first number one pick ever, and um, he looks pretty good after his rookie season. I mean, yep. he's right there with you know Timmy uh, Hardaway as we pointed out in the, in the last season. Um, so. I'm, I'm still excited for him and I'm excited because the league, you know, we're starting to develop some more personalities. You know, we, we obviously have like the high end stars like Jordan and, and magic and Isaiah and those guys. But now we got Gary Payton, who's a really fun guy. Um, we, you know, we're starting to build some of this, some of these guys that were sort of in the prime of my childhood. Yeah. <laughs> like these, um, and so the next few years in, as a whole is like, that's like my golden era of fandom is, is it when I was, you know, I couldn't get enough NBA basketball at this point in my life.
0: Yeah, it, I related to kind of. Uh, I've been watching through all the old Royal Rumbles on uh, Peacock, and around the the fifth Royal Rumble, all of a sudden you get to a point. It's like it's still all the old guys from the first four. It's you know, it's Hulk Hogan and Million Dollar Man and Mister Perfect, and some kind of some some of the same guys have been around the first few years. But all of a sudden, Ric Flair shows up, and all of a sudden, The Undertaker shows up, and all of a sudden, Shawn Michaels is no longer part of the Rockers. He's the you know, he's the Heartbreak Kid, and Brett Hart is has more of a role. He's not just part of the the Hart Foundation. It's just kind of these guys are coming into their own and making it more like, oh yeah, I remember this. Like this is this is where I, you know, really made it. You know, understood it and was around. So I, I get that. You're starting to see a lot of names just like, no, no, this is getting into my heyday. This is getting into really where I under, where I was a part
1: of yeah. it. Yeah. So well, even some of the guys we talked about tonight in the draft. I mean, like I mentioned Peyton, but Kendall Gill was a guy I was a fan of, you know, for years. Um, I, I just always liked his game and you know obviously he played for the wolves um, later on the road he, he was I was I was in martial arts most of my life um, and I got actually had a to test for some belt in Minneapolis, at the main school and at, it was the first time I had a test at that school so I was a little bit nervous I walk in and this is uh, this is me as an adult this is like in 2001 sometime yeah. or somewhere around there and I walk in and Kendall Gills standing against a wall he, he wasn't I guess he trained there once in a while mm-hmm. um but he was just there to watch because he was like he was a, a black belt in jujitsu and they taught jujitsu at the school too i was doing kung fu at the time but um i just remember going wow yeah this guy is a black belt and he's, he's what six seven inches taller than me and right. just
0: just huge jack he was yeah.
1: just ripped i was just like i you know it's it was unfathomable to me that there was guys that were a built like that and b were trained to like just murk you if yeah. they wanted to. So, um, I that made me like him even better, just because like we had that shared interest. I I never talked to him or anything. There was you know two hundred people there, um, so it was, but it was pretty cool just to see him. You know, he had his. That was when he had the long dreads, and he was just he just looked cool leaning at the wall. I'm just like, yeah, that guy's a badass. <laughs> but Cedric sabalas was another fun one. Mm-hmm. D Brown, all these guys that were like this draft, like it wasn't high on, you know, Hall of Fame level talent. There's a lot of fun. Derek Coleman was even a fun personality. Yeah. But Sabalos in the you know dunk contest where he blindfolds himself, and D Brown had some cool dunks in the dunk contests. You know, there, there was a lot. Of, you know, and like I said, Muhammad Abdul Raouf. I've said it in previous episodes, and I've said it multiple times tonight. Was one of my favorite players from this era. Like I really like him when you know Denver gets rolling with Matembo and stuff. So we're on the eve of like as a DG, new era. And, yeah. And, yeah. A fun police era. You know, like that. I loved that era of NBA basketball. Tim Hardaway's, you know, was just a rookie and that team was the Warriors were a fun team with Mullen and and Hardaway. So we're uh we're really starting to, to see those that next tier of stars as, you know, Jordan still like in the prime of things, but um you know, all these other guys that, you know, aren't as big a household names today that were extremely fun to watch back then.
0: Absolutely. So I'm looking forward to it. We've got probably not a ton of episodes, but a a few episodes coming up to spend on the 1990-91 season. We'll walk through uh, the highs and the lows and the firings and the hirings and the signings and the cuttings and the trades and everything that happens throughout the the course of the season and we'll see where the the franchise goes from here and if it's uh, on the uptick moving forward or if we are starting to get a glimpse of the future of the Minnesota Timberwolves. So, Chad, thanks for joining me again, and let's bring it back and keep moving forward. Sounds good, man. All right, buddy. All right. Have a good night, man. Bye-bye.